What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. It is Wednesday, January 23rd. You know what that means? One, two, three. Exciting stuff if you're into numerology and crap like that. I'm Will Brinson. I'm the host of the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. Joining me on this Wednesday, the one, the only, Jason Lacanfora. What's up, buddy? What's going on, my friend? Uh, not much. Getting excited for the Super Bowl. We're going to talk some Super Bowl matchup. We're going to talk some gambling stuff. We're going to talk some officiating stuff. We'll share share that to the end um, in the interest of, you know, we talked about it. will be different angles, but we talked about it with John Breach yesterday. You can go check that out. Good conversation there. Um, and, of course, we had our Sunday recap show in which Sean and I screamed at each other about Patrick Mahomes. If you like the pod... If you, if you, we appreciate any reviews, make sure and subscribe on iTunes and get prepared because we're going to be live from the Super Bowl, um, five days a week. I assume just one show a week, but it'll be published same, same, uh, same podcast time early in the morning. We'll record it the day before. We'll get Jason on there, I'm sure. And, uh, and we'll do, uh, it'll be fun. And we'll also have a live show from like noon to one on CBS Sports HQ. You can watch Jason there, cbssports.com slash live. Be live for the Super Bowl the entire week. And, uh, and then of course you will be doing a absurd amount of television. I believe, uh, what do you got? Tops in the, in the evenings and then Super Bowl live. Yeah. Basically, if you're, in front of the television the week leading up to the Super Bowl, you want the best Super Bowl coverage, just go to CBS Sports Network, and if it's between the hours of 6 a.m. and midnight uh, East Coast time or 3 a.m. and 9 p.m. West Coast time or somewhere in the middle in the Midwest, we will have live programming from Atlanta with great guests, great content, um, all week long leading right up through the the game and the uh, I think we've got a six hour NFL today pregame show oh on Super Bowl Sunday so yeah we will we will be cranking yeah we'll have uh, I don't know if they're doing anything in the oh yeah I'm sure they're doing um, like a boomer boomer show on on in the mornings and then Rome and Tiki yes, and Tyranny exactly and then yeah it's exactly. live twenty four seven live from there and then uh, we'll have special programming in the afternoon uh, tops I think will. We'll have NFL Monday QB live from 5 to 7 on Monday, and then we'll have coverage of uh, media night, Monday night, and then the rest of the week. I think we have tops from uh, 4 to – from 6 to 8, or no, from 5 to – I think from 5 to 8 we'll have tops, and then from – I don't even know, Will. <laughs> I'm all confused now. No, from 6 to 8 we'll have tops, I think, and then – Eight to ten, we have something else, and then ten to twelve, we have Super Bowl Live. We, it, yeah, we got you covered. I saw a bunch of. Um... I don't know the names of all the shows yet. I just looked at my schedule, and, and there's uh, we, we've got we've got a lot of a lot of content we're gonna, coming your way. We're gonna blast you in the face with content. That's the new CBS Sports uh, yes. Super Bowl motto: Get your face blasted with content. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's blast your faces with some discussion of the Super Bowl matchup. All right, Jason, what's your Initial thought besides uh, another Patriots Super Bowl. I mean, nah, I, I, what, do, what do you think? Patriots – actually, we were talking about this before, before we started recording, and you made the point that maybe the Patriots are underappreciated. I think it is it is easy when we are seeing the Patriots like six out of the last ten years in the Super Bowl. It's easy to get fatigue, Patriots fatigue, but like what they're doing is ridiculous, right? I mean, it it 
shouldn't happen in any era, much less this era that any um, sport was set up to prevent this. I mean, that's why when you know the league adopted free agency and and went from Plan B free agency in the mid '90s to more full blown free agency, they did it with the salary cap and with all the revenue sharing and all these other mechanisms that are designed to pull everybody to the middle. And these guys are the ultimate outliers at a time where it should be more difficult than ever in the history of probably any sport to be an outlier. I mean, let's face it, basketball, it's a 12-man roster. You know what I mean? You, you, you assemble three Hall of Famers at any given time, and you have the makings of a dynasty. Um, and I know they have luxury taxes and all that, but they also have exemptions and weight. Obviously, it, it's you know, like just look at the Warriors. You know what I mean? Look, look at you know wherever LeBron goes becomes a mini dynasty, right? So it's easier than basketball. Um, you know, I know hockey has a, a revenue, uh, not a revenue sharing model, but but a salary cap that they put in after um, the 2004 lockout. But I mean, it's still smaller roster size. I think one generational player can carry you a little bit more. Um, you saw what the Red Wings did under Scotty Bowman, but, you know, no one's even come close to that. Um, football should be the hardest. It's so many moving pieces. The rosters are so big. The salary cap is is significant. You couple that with the draft and – with the way revenue sharing models work and everything else, it really is corporate socialism for billionaires. Yet these guys are, I mean, eight straight championship games. Tom Brady's, what is this? His 11th Super Bowl? Uh, it is his 11th I Super mean, Bowl. Cause he's won, I mean, he's won, wait, no, no, no. Yeah, he's won five of them. He's lost three of them. Is that, no, is it 11? It's ninth Super Bowl, right? Ninth Super Bowl. Belichick's 11th Super Bowl. Belichick's 11th Super Bowl, Brady's 9th. Yeah, Belichick has... Eight straight championship games. I mean, I think they've missed the championship game. They failed to reach at least the championship game one time in 15 years. Here's the... Listen to this. This is since 2000. Here's the 2001 AFC quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. I'm going to run through them very quickly. Brady, Gannon, Brady, Brady, Ben, Manning, Brady, Ben, Manning, Ben, Brady, Flacco, Manning, Brady, Manning, Brady, Brady, Brady. I mean, like, I feel like I said, I mean, it's, it's absurd how many times Tom Brady has been in the Super Bowl. And it, what's particularly crazy is that they've done it in, like, they've, they've retooled. This is how you do a dynasty, oh. right? I mean, like, they like, invented themselves a billion different, I mean, a million right. verbally, but, but ten different times. I yeah. mean, they did it with Antoine Smith and three yards and a cloud of dust and a really, really good defense. Right, and then they then Brady started to emerge, um, and the defense was still really good. And then they had no defense, but they drafted the two tight ends, and then eventually added Randy Moss, and it was chucking it all over the place. And then, obviously, Aaron Hernandez goes to prison, and Randy Moss is gone, and they reinvent themselves again. And now it's new slot guys, and it's all you know Edelman and Amendola for a while. And there's no outside receivers, and not much of a running game. And then they evolved to, um, well, we used to just have one Kevin Falk. Now let's have, like, a roster full of Kevin Falk, right? <laughs> and then it's, like, James White and Deion Lewis. And, uh, yeah, we'll throw Burkhead in the mix, too. And, you know, you kind of ride that a while. And, and, and meanwhile, any given week, they completely could change their identity based on opponent, regardless of what the season sort of philosophy looked like. It might, it might be for them. Um, 
it's it's absolutely positively ridiculous. It won't be fully appreciated until a decade passes. Um, that you know, from whenever Tom Brady retires, a year from now, two years from now, whatever. Once ten years pass from that point on, and you see how what this league normally looks like, and how a team gets hot here, and boom, they're in one year, and a team gets hot there, and boom, they're in the next year. And you know, as great as Mahomes is going to be. He's not going to ever go to eight straight championship games. You know what I mean? No. I just don't think that's going to happen. No. I mean, part of the problem, too. As much as people want to hate on it, I don't and never have because it's like the longer this keeps going, the more of an anomaly it just is, the more historical it gets, the more um, it's going to, to resonate and stand out as this absolutely ridiculous. I can't call it a blip on the on the NFL time space continuum because it's it's over. You know what I mean? Because it's going on two decades. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it's it is absolutely counterintuitive to think this is even possible. It shouldn't. It, it, it really shouldn't is. be possible. It shouldn't be possible. It's eighteen years. I mean, Tom Brady, Sean McVay, who is coaching against Bill Belichick, was in ninth grade when the Patriots won their first Super Bowl. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, that's, I mean, I, I remember, I remember being in college at, um, at living at a house on Groveland Avenue in Raleigh and watching the Patriots. We had just gotten, like, Jason Cherry, my roommate at the time, had, had just gone to Best Buy and bought a new, like, 42 inch flat screen TV. It was, I mean, it was the top of the line. Nobody had right. it. And we watched the, we watched the Rams beat the Patriots, or the Patriots beat the Rams in 2001, shocked. By the outcome, I mean, it's been it's it's just it's just crazy. Do you, do you buy into the full circle notion of all this that um, you know they beat the Rams in two thousand one? Rams, Rams, bookending it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just yeah. but look how look how different that Rams like look how different that Rams franchise is now. Like, I'm pretty sure okay, so the COO of the Rams, Kevin Demoff. I'm about to turn forty five. I think Kevin's younger than me. Mm-hmm. Like. I'm thinking that Kevin Demoff, who ushered the Rams from St. Louis to L.A. and, you know, spearheaded this stadium, getting the stadium built in Inglewood, and who basically hired Sean McVay, Kevin had to probably be in college when the Rams played the Patriots in that other Super Bowl. Or if not, he was right out of college, like working for the Arena League team, like in Orlando or whatever, or, you know, before he even got to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's the, like, I can remember, like, I've been married to my wife, what, 16 years. I can remember going to a Super Bowl party with her the Janet Jackson year with, you know, the Timberlake Janet Jackson, the Panthers uh, Patriots Super Bowl. Yeah. And, like, we weren't married yet. You know what I mean? And now (laughs) I've got a kid who's going into high school. And that wasn't even the first Brady Super Bowl. I, I I remember that Panthers that Panthers Patriots Super Bowl. So I was living at a we were living on Cherry Lane. So I was still just out of college. I wasn't just out of college, but some of my roommates were. And uh, my roommate Wes, who was a, a New Englander, was in this house full of Panthers fans cheering on Tom Brady and the Patriots. And my 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 other roommate Will, after one point, Wes got up and was like, "Yeah!" My my other roommate Will got up and slapped him in the face in front of like forty people in the room because he was <laughs> cheering for the Patriots in the middle of this house that was full of Panthers fans. It was like just a pure record scratch moment. But I mean, like that's it's it's been 
It's been 18 years. It's insane. Jared Goff was seven when they won their first Super Bowl. Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. Seven! No, it's, I mean, and, and, and what? Uh, you know, he beats Mahomes. Mahomes, I think, was five. And Brady <laughs> took over for, for Bledsoe as the starter in New England. It, it's, I mean, it'll warp your mind. Um, and I'll have to run the stats again. I ran them the morning of Super Bowl Sunday last year. I looked at the the top ten pass catchers from Tom Brady. So all-time most receptions from Tom Brady. And at the Super Bowl last year, Kevin Falk was still like third or fourth. And Ben Watson was still in the top ten. I mean, Ben Watson hasn't been in New England for over a decade. Yeah, I mean, Ben Watson. Right? He only getting, played out his yeah. rookie contract there, and he was gone. He was still tenth in reception. So it's not like this guy has been th- like. There's no continuity. You know what I mean? It's like Wes Welker's like second. Welker hasn't been there in forever. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. the list of guys is like. I mean, you've got Gronk and Randy Moss, but then it's a whole bunch of seventh round picks and 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 street free agents and converted quarterbacks. You know, it's Edelman and Amendola. You know, it's a third down back and Kevin Falk. It, I mean, I think Deion Lewis might have squeaked his way in there. I know Ben Watson was definitely tenth. Aaron Hernandez was on there. I mean, it's like, I mean, Brandon Lloyd like just missed the cut. You know what I mean? It's been like there have been no constants other than Brady. Other than some key ones, <laughs> Brady, Belichick, McDaniel's, except for a you know a blip here with the Rams and a blip here with Denver, but you know pretty much McDaniel's. You know Ernie Adams is the guy behind the guy, sort of Bill Belichick's fixer, you know mastermind, strategist, whatever the heck you want to term his title to be, um, and then everything else is, is and and Casario. Casario's been there pretty much the length and breadth of it and everything else has changed. So, and, so I just ran, I just ran the, the thing for you in, in pro football reference. And you're right. This is stunning. Um, dude, it, read the name. I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah, this is, and then so, if you go a little further, like I swear to God, Brandon Lloyd and like, no, no, no this is, here's like the Dante Stallworth were popping up. I'm here's, like, dude, hasn't been there forever. Here's the best one. I think number. All right. So this is, we're talking about most receiving yards, for the New England Patriots from 2001 to 2018. Number 26 on this list is Josh Gordon. <laughs> Josh Gordon was there for eight games. Played with him for half a season. Yeah, so number one is Gronk. That's no surprise. I mean, he's at 7,861 yards, which isn't even that crazy a number. Number two is Wes Welker, 74 right. Three is Julian Edelman. Edelman, four, yeah. four is Dion Branch, it's, who hasn't been there since right. 2012. Five, five is Randy Moss. Six, Troy Brown. Seven, Kevin Falk. Eight, David. Troy Brown converted defensive back. Kevin Falk, yeah. third down back. Eight is David Patton. What? Yeah. Nine Dude, is. Dude, I think nine, David Givens like might have just missed the cut. It was unbelievable when nine, I ran it last. Nine is Danny Amendola. Ten is David Givens. Eleven is James White, who was drafted by them in 2014 as a running back. Twelve is Ben Watson. Thirteen, Aaron Hernandez. Four, I mean, Aaron Hernandez. So is those da- two dropped from a year ago. So those two yeah. were in the top ten a year ago. So they've been pushed out by White. And, uh, this is insane. I mean, like, I, I believe it. Like, all these guys are. And he's the greatest of all time. And people are like, well, oh, but they win all the time. I mean, dude, this is who he's played with. Like, go take any other quarterback from this era and, and say that's going to be, they're going to play this long and that's their top 10. You know what I mean? Like, if you're looking, go look at Peyton Manning's. 
I've always hated this debate. Tom Brady is infinite. I don't just say infinite. He's he he is better than Peyton Manning by any metric. Peyton, how many Hall of Famers? Peyton, Peyton's got Reggie Wayne. Peyton's got uh, Her- uh He's going to have uh, Marvin Harrison in that top ten, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to have uh, Marshall Falk maybe in that top ten. Uh, go run Peyton Manning's top ten. All right, so we're looking at Colts Colts receiving yards from two thousand nineteen ninety nine to two thousand twelve. Does that work? Most receiving. Yeah, I guess it would have been. Was Manning drafted in ninety eight? He was ninety eight, wasn't he? Yeah, ninety eight. Yeah, because because yeah, because T Martin. Yeah, because yeah, two thousand twelve was when Andrew Luck was drafted. Um, so it'd be right, two thousand. Okay. It'd be two thousand eleven, I guess. Two thousand eleven um, season. Yeah, two thousand eleven because he was drafted in ninety eight because T Martin won the. Um, yeah, he won the uh, he won the uh, the Super Bowl or the, the the college football championship in nineteen. Oh, this isn't that great. Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, Marcus Pollard, and Edger and James. The top five is better. Okay, Pe- so yeah, the four of the top five are yeah. What three of the top five are Hall of Famers? And I mean, and Dallas that was a pretty Clark's, good tight end for a decade. Well, I mean, Marvin Harrison had twelve thousand eight hundred seventy eight yards. Reggie Wayne eleven thousand seven hundred eight. Both of those guys would be one and two on Brady's list. Um, yeah, Marshall Falk is fifteen for for Peyton Manning. Uh, Brandon LaFell is right. I mean, Marshall Falk <laughs> maybe the best pass catching running back in the history of the game. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean he was only he got traded, of course. Um, yeah, I mean look, there's only thirty guys on the list um, when you with over a hundred receiving yards for for Peyton Manning in that stretch. There are sixty nine nice uh, guys over a hundred receiving yards for for Tom Brady. Pat I mean, to Gronk, Gronk, Gronk. You should actually tweet that stat at Gronk. He'd be very happy. <laughs> he would be. I mean, Chad Johnson is forty seven. Like Corderell Patterson is fifty two. Well, Legarrette Blount is sixty. Um, I mean, Deion Lewis is twenty eight. I mean, there's just running backs. Dante Stallworth. Dante Stallworth is actually there for a decent amount of time. Reshe Caldwell, twenty three. It's it is it is it's just crazy. Um, what I well, let's let's get into what do you think about this matchup against the Rams? Though I mean, is the Patriots are now I believe up to maybe yeah they're up to two and a half point favorites. After opening, for a lot some, of early money came in on them. Huh? They opened up as a one-point underdog for some reason, and they were there for about right. ten minutes, and it flipped. Well, it worked, right? I mean, they know what they're doing because then all, all of a sudden, it, right? I was reading somebody put the hundred and fifty thousand dollars bet on the Patriots, and then yep. somebody put a two hundred thousand dollars bet on the Patriots, and next thing you know, the line's swinging. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, because what happens is they induced big money at the onset or with a two weeks before that game was played. They obviously know what they're doing, right? I mean, they they got enough money coming in. I mean, somebody could break their ankle between now and then in practice. You know what I mean? Like two weeks before the game, Vegas, they got enough money right off the bat that it moved the line two and a half to three points. Well, Vegas is going to be rooting hard for the Rams. Uh, uh, ironically, you know, like like they, they, they Vegas needed the Patriots against the Rams in in two thousand and one. Bad. Uh, you know, I mean, there was a lot of smart money back then on the on the Patriots, but they were also like. Everybody, you know, everybody's like the greatest show on turf. These guys are going to throttle them. If you're a 14 point favorite in the Super Bowl, nobody's betting against you. Just like the the, the Patriots and the and the Giants back then. Um, yeah, they're, but they, I mean, they're two and a half point favorites, and and people are hammering the Patriots. And John Murray at the Westgate said he expects it to go up to three at some point during the week. I you think you could see some buyback at three, uh, but yeah, I mean, right. how do you bet against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick with two weeks to prepare? Um, knowing that, you know, Jared Goff just looked shaky, I thought, in, his, in the first half. Um, yeah. And Todd Gurley is, they say he's healthy, but he's clearly yeah, not. Something's not right there. 
I mean, two weeks is a long time. Something's not right there, but two weeks is a long time. Well, I think this... I tend to think it's going to be a Patriots home game, right? I mean, there's no yes. Rams fans. Like, A, there's no Rams fans. B, there's no Rams fans that are traveling cross-country. To Atlanta, right. I mean, yeah. You know, whereas for Patriots Nation, they can't – nothing's guaranteed beyond this. It's probably the end for Gronk. I mean, it's doubtful at the end of Brady, but if he wins, you never know. I mean – I tend to think that dome is going to be rocking for the Patriots, and that it might might be one sided enough that it it actually gets to golf a little bit. Well, um, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, again, like I've got a crap ton of experience covering Patriots Super Bowls. I've been to a bunch of them. Um, I, I feel like the the one against the Seahawks was pretty split. The yeah. um, you know the Giants one was pretty split back in two thousand and eleven. Uh, I would say, you know, I mean, the, the Eagles game last year was all Eagles. Eagles. I mean, yeah, but it that was almost like a, the Patriots had just beaten the Falcons. You know, they, they felt like they yeah. were playing with house money. Nobody wanted to go to Minneapolis to be in the freezing cold and deal with like a right. bunch of drunk Eagles fans. This one well, feels was, different. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles first time ever. I mean, coming, well, not first time ever. I mean, first time since yeah, sure. Harold Carmichael and those guys. But I mean, you know, first time in, in, in forever and it was their first one and nobody thought was going to happen when Wentz got hurt. Um, first one post Andy Reid. Mm. So, yeah, I think um, I think it'll be a Patriots-centric uh, crowd. Um, McVay is special, amazing. He'll be prepared as well. I, I just think they'll find a way. I'll say this. Really super early be talking X-Factors or whatever. If the Rams win this game, Dante Fowler is going to have to have the kind of game that, like, you know, Bennett had against them in the Seattle Super Bowl. Um, he's going to – there has to be somebody generating pressure off the edge. I think they will find a way to block up Sue and, and Donald for the most part, and Brady's so quick at getting rid of the ball. But if those two are collapsing and there's nobody collecting on the outside, I think Brady will pick that, that team apart. I, I just mm. do. I still don't really buy the Rams defense. Um, there's so many different ways that that the Rams can beat you. And the one thing that I kept watching in that game, the Saints-Rams game, anytime they ran Camaro on a wheel route, anytime they just took a running back and put him out in the flat, it was like 8 to 12 yes. yards. And then they stopped. They could not defend but they, it. They, but they couldn't stopped. defend it with linebackers. They couldn't defend it with safeties. I mean, they could. The Patriots could put a formation out there where you've got Stallworth and White in the backfield with Brady, and one's running a wheel route one way, and one's Stall- running a wheel route the other way. And I bet he could throw that, you know, to those two fifteen times and go fourteen or fifteen for two hundred twenty-five and whatever. Did like, you- I just don't think the Rams can stop that. Not on a fast track. Not in that dome. I think that's going to be a real problem, especially with nobody who you have to really fear coming off the edge. I mean, the Patriots have seen Fowler. They know what he's all about. They saw him in Jacksonville. I just don't think they're going to let the two, the twin towers on the inside keep them from another ring. And if they, and if they do prevent those two from wreaking havoc, I don't know who else on that defense really gives them problems. Did, did, did you, when you said Stallworth, did you mean Burkhead or, uh, you said I'm sorry, I meant Patterson. Oh, oh yeah, Patterson, Patterson, right, right. So, I mean, yeah, you, no, put, okay. you know, you could put two, like you could put Patterson and White back there, yeah. and play games with them all day long, and just throw screen passes to them. And I don't, I don't know that they could ever stop it. Well, I, I thought that I was really surprised, Jason, by two, two things. One in the in the different games. One, like 
Andy Reid didn't he wait he waited until the adjustment was just weird. He waited until the second half to really start throwing to his running backs. It's like, dude, this yeah. is the matchup that you're gonna win with if you're getting blitzed. Yeah. Get this short stuff out. Don't try and bomb it down the field to Tyreek and Kelsey. Go short while when they're when they're bringing this covers you were. I blitzed. wonder I also though how much of that I, I think that like I, I'm not I feel bad saying anything negative about this kid. I don't even think this is, I'm, I don't even count it as negative, but nothing's perfect. I think a lot of that is Mahomes, man. Uh, you know, he so. trusts the arm so much. Yeah, maybe so. And, you know, maybe. other than Gilmore, I don't think there was any DB there that he feared, and he thought, I can throw guys open or I can throw it in the air and wait for Hill to get there. And it's hard for him to go underneath. You know what I mean? It was. I, I think that I'm, I'm guessing Andy Reid had talked with him at halftime. And yeah, said, well, yeah. <laughs> but we got to start. We got to throw short to set up long. Like when it's third and seven, we don't need 52 yards. You know what I mean? We just need eight. Yeah. When it's third and three, we don't need 28 yards. We just need four. Yeah. And I think there was a little bit of a recalibration there as well. I, I think Mahomes. The moment got to him, and. It's Tom Bleep and Brady on the other sideline, and I just I need chunk yards, chunk yards, chunk yards, and I think they calmed him down a little bit at halftime, and then he he sort of started operating from the inside out, and then they started carving him up, um, mm. but certainly the approach changed, whether that was play calling or just <clears throat> you know him him keeping his eyes close before he moves them downfield and not just locking in on on hoisting the ball down the field. Um, no, no, no. I think I no, I think you're right. And and it, it did it like a hundred percent. He looked much calmer in the second half, and that's something that's sort of been an issue for him during his first year as a starter, uh, being just too gassed up in these big spots, especially on the road or then in the playoffs. Which is natural. Yeah, and you sure. compare what he did to what Andrew Luck did and yeah. what you know, Deshaun Watson did and what every other young quarterback in the playoffs has done. I mean, even compared to Goff. I mean, Goff if the Saints, they were giving the Saints the game. The Saints just didn't take it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like oh yeah, that, 100%. The Rams gave them the game in the first 20 minutes. The Saints just failed to put up 17. If they get 17, if it's 17 nothing and not 13 nothing, they're probably, it's, it might be lights out. Yeah, or if it, if, God forbid, it's 21 nothing. good night Rams. And that fake punt was huge by Sean McVay. Of course, Sean Payton should have seen that coming. But all, in the Rams game, what I was really surprised by, and maybe I need to go back and watch it because maybe it was Wade Phillips making adjustment. I'm not, I'm not sure though. I, I, th- I think it was more like, like there was that drive to start the third quarter and the Saints got Alvin Kamara lined up against Corey Littleton and Mark Barron. They were, they were destroying Littleton. And they were the shredding them. And like at some point, like it was either Joe Buck or Tori, I think it was Joe Buck. He's like, Corey Littleton's just getting tired of this. It's like, yeah, I bet he is. He's chasing the fastest running back in football, uh, and like the best pass catching running back, the most lethal weapon in that passing game, um, around the field. And he's getting absolutely annihilated. I don't think one, that the Rams linebackers can match up with the Patriots running backs, obviously. I mean, James White has these Super Bowl moments. He's a monster. He, they deploy him like crazy yeah. in these spots. And two, I don't think Josh McDaniels is going to get away from that the same way that it felt like Sean Payton kind of got away from that and Drew Brees got away from that. They sort of stopped. Well, and Sean, and Sean, I know it was tough sledding running the game, running the ball, but the, 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 the key metric that nobody's talking about in that game is, I think Kamara had nine carries and Ingram had eight. I mean, they're all about volume in the run game. They're mm-hmm. about systematically sucking your soul out of your body and grinding you down. And 17 combined carries for those two just ain't getting it done. Now, I'm, 
It looked to me like Andrews Pete was playing with one hand, and that was a problem. Um, and the Rams were obviously not giving up much on the ground. I think those two combined 17 carries for 48 yards. But the, 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 the Saints equation really is getting 35 carries out of those two and only having Brees throw the ball 30 times. And, you know, that's, that's what, who they were when they went on that, you know, whatever, 9-10 game winning streak, whatever, whatever it was. When, yeah. when they were looked like for two months the best team in football, it was because they were balanced to a fault. And it was about setting you up early with, even if it's not, even if they're only running for three, five a carry, three a carry, they just keep coming at you. And they're softening you up. And there's going to be one spot where you bring too many people down in the box and then it's a play action bomb over your head or something to get, but they're just going to make you keep respecting the run. And the Rams didn't really have to do that. And I think, you know, a lot of times it's not even the effectiveness of the run. It's just the number of carries and the cumulative impact of it. And I think in this game, if the Saints had 25 completions and 30, you know, 30 rushes, they probably win just because with that lead, what it does to the clock, you know, and, and they just never really adopted that mindset where um, it was like, we're just going to out-ugly you for a period of time. They, they, that never materialized. And that was a big surprise to me. Yeah, I, I mean, it is wild to think that the Saints were up thirteen nothing, and again, it, you, like you said, it should have been seventeen, should have been twenty one, something like that. They were up that big, and Drew Brees threw forty times, and they only ran the ball yeah. seventeen times. And I think the difference too between the Patriots and the and the Saints, that Patriots offensive line is not just healthy. It's and playing well. It's hitting its peak at the exact right time. Like this is what you want if you're if you're New England. You're running this power game, and I get it. And Dominican Sue's well, going to it's also an eight. It's an eight man offense. Yeah, they got it's bodies. Five yeah. plus Allen plus Gronk, who can grade you plus a fullback. Yeah, and and the thing about Gronk is they've done such a good job protecting his body, even as banged up as he is. That like you saw it against the Chiefs. I mean, he had. Gronk like plays, even if they weren't, you know, they weren't full. Like I'm at my maximum yeah. superpower, but he he's got 60 minutes left. The dude, I mean, like he, he maybe he walks away after this game. Who, I mean, whatever. It's his 60 minutes left in his season, maybe his career, the year, whatever it is. He can uncork for 60 minutes. He can block like like Gronk, and he can play in the passing game like Super Gronk, and not worry about what how his back is going to feel next week. Uh, you know, because there's no more matchups left. And I think you will. I think you'll see him leave it on the field uh, in the Super Bowl. All right, let's take a um, quick break, and then we're going to come back. We'll talk about the line of the Patriots. It's a very interesting gambling stuff that you've got uh, queued up in a column coming this week. Being around sports media and a fan of, oh, my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondry's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week of the podcast, Trey and Kevin will probably open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. All right. 
So gambling, kind of a thing. Sports betting, we talk about it on here. Um, the Patriots line has already moved, as we mentioned. There's a bunch of money on the Patriots. Uh, people just like to gamble. By the way, quick uh, quick gut reaction, Jason. Baltimore Orioles, over under 60.5 wins. That's according to betonline.ag, which just released MLB totals far too early. So we're talking 61. I, I think they could win. I think they could win 97 games. <laughs> really? Yeah. Win 97 games? No, sorry. <laughs> Lose 97. Sorry. sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, really? No. no. I don't think sorry. so. My bad. No. <laughs> I think they can hold their losses to not to to 97 they can only lose 97 games like i think last year they lost like 115 i'm thinking this year they lose between 97 to 100 so i would i think they could win 61 games okay that's (laughs) but i mean i'd have to look at all of them like i don't know that that one's you know screaming out, you know. No, no, I did. Like, it, it literally. There could be other teams where I'm like, well, I really like that one. Like, I don't love this one, but I, I do believe that's by far. Much, but I mean, for well, I, I won't go into all the reasons. Nobody cares. But I, yes, I think I think they capped the losses at 97 to 100. It's five five wins below the next lowest total, which is the Miami Marlins at 65 and a half. So I mean, at 60, it's hard to lose 100 games two years in a row. We'll see what the Orioles do. We can talk well, about that you more could later. do it. I yeah, mean, it yeah. could be done. And yeah. honestly, they're not, I mean, no one over there at the warehouse would be crying if they do lose 100. Like, if they lose 112 to 115 again, people would be like, okay, that's a bit much. But like, <laughs> if they lost 100, nobody's going to cry. Because that's just where they are as a franchise right now in yeah. this long rebuild. But uh, I think they, I think they won't be as tragically horrific as they were last year. Um, all right. What about gambling? So there you and, go. Yeah, it's good. I don't want to lean too long on the Orioles. That's worse than a Patrick Mahomes no. milk take from Sean. Um, what about gambling in the NFL? Because you you've been digging into this. People love to get uh, some some early. Insider nuggets on the podcast before they come out in the column. What's what's going on with gambling in the NFL well, right now? I, I just I've talked to enough people at the league office who, um, as much as the NFL is going to be very careful publicly about how much they embrace uh, sports betting and gambling as a concept, each step of the way, uh, these owners see a pie in the sky here. They see potential revenue streams. That won't approach their broadcast contracts, but could become the second most um, prolific revenue stream for them on the whole as a league. When you factor in sponsorships, when you factor in advertising, um, when you factor in their own ability to profit internally off of next-gen stats, and when you factor in all the the contracts that they're going to bid out eventually for who's the official real-time Stats provider of the NFL, who's the official information technology source of the NFL, who's the official betting house of the NFL. Uh, It just goes on and on and on from the team level and then at the macro league level. uh, It's being seen as an absolute game changer. There is a definite strong push among ownership to have a lot of – I mean, you've got a seven-month offseason to sort a lot of this out so that week one of the 2019 season could look, feel – I won't say taste, <laughs> but completely <laughs> different for NFL consumers and viewers than we've ever seen before. Uh, 
I think the way games are presented on TV, what you are allowed to talk about on pregame shows um, versus what you've been allowed to talk about in the past, uh, what, you know, turning the knob leading up to kickoff of an NFL game, it would not shock me by week one if it's like it was five years ago where every other commercial is FanDuel mm. or DraftKings. You know what I mean? Like when the Daily Fantasy stuff was really on the rise before the government came in and regulated it you literally couldn't get around those commercials and they, and everything sponsored by one of those two. I mean, I think that's where we're headed, but it's going to be Caesars and Ladbrokes and William Hill and you know what I mean? Bet.com and whatever else that's coming. Um, and it's, it's very real. And the league is embracing it internally in ways that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, but you know, I've been told that for months now there's a sports, the, the league established a sports betting committee among owners and, and, and top NFL officials, and they've been holding lengthy conference calls every Friday, figuring out mm. these big issues. Um, because once you put your name to it, and once this is the official real-time stat service of the NFL, like if somebody bet $15,000 that the next play is a sack by Aaron Donald, you know what I mean? And then you come out on Tuesday and say, no, that sack is now and Dominican Sue's. <laughs> you know, the league's in trouble. If the league's taking money, the league's taking money from this, and the league's saying this is it. You can't. There's no do-overs. You know what I mean? There's no go-backs, and that's the kind of issues that they're looking at right now and drilling down deep on and figuring out. Okay, does this work better than that? And uh, I, I think it will be a large part of what they use this AAFL for, this spring league that's starting. I think what a couple weeks after the Super Bowl or a week after the Super Bowl. You know the NFL. Um, is working in conjunction with them. And a lot of what they're going to use that for, I'm told, is an IT incubator. It's trying out all these different, you know, you got these different companies who say our model works better than theirs and blah, 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 blah. It's going to be an incubator for technology and, uh, and, and software development and research development for these, different, um, for these different models to figure out which one works best. But um, I could see a, brand, a completely different horizon to where it's still sort of been marginalized now, right? I mean, we can't talk about point spreads on the NFL today. None of the official, you know, like they can't do it on Fox. You can't, you know, you can't use team nicknames, right? Like you, you, none of these places can say, oh, this team, you can't use any of the NFL graphics, right? You can't use any logos or trademarks. Yeah, on our on picks any, any page. Gam- yeah, yeah. Right, right, on any of these gambling-related shows, but like, once the league has an official, you know what I mean, official betting house and official this, official that, official that, you're going to have to go into those contracts and change a lot of those language. And that's something else that this sports betting committee, I'm told, is working on as well. And, and how much time do you need to give your broadcast partners to maybe rework the way they present a lot of this stuff? Not that it's going to become all gambling all the time, but I think the day is coming sooner rather than later where – the, the screen itself, you'll have the ability, you know what I mean? It'll have all these different prop bets down the side of a screen if you decide to consume, you know what I mean, that view of the game versus the standard view of the game. I mean, that's where it's going, and there's so much money out there, these owners believe, that I have a hard time seeing them let a whole other season go by before they start capitalizing on it. Are we, we are talking about, are we talking about the All-American Football League? Not the, mm-hmm. not the Alliance of American Football, just to be clear. Oh, no, I don't. Whatever the one that's starting in like two weeks. 
the like, one where Mike Vick is coaching the Atlanta team and yeah, Brad yeah, yeah, Childers okay. was the, the OC the, and then he left. Yeah, there. the AAF, which is like CBS no, is involved it's in it. AAF. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. Just making sure. Um, but it's like, yeah, like, um, uh, you have the, the Arizona Hotshots, the Atlanta Legends, Birmingham Iron, Memphis yes, Express, yes, all that. Okay, yes. just, that just league sure. is going to be used. I don't know how much of it you're going to be able to see if you're watching the games, but trust me, in, <laughs> inside the league office, they are going to have a lot of different things that they're doing behind the scenes that they can just, that they can go back and, and analyze, okay, did this work better than that? And is this technology better than that one? And do we need 10 microchips in a ball or 500 microchips in a ball? You know, that kind of stuff is coming. And maybe that dovetails, not to play the role of uh, host here, with changes in officiating as well and what the thrust of, of the future is of officiating in terms of technology and IT and more cameras or, you know, different cameras and all that stuff to try to ensure that whether it's Big Brother or the Eye in the Sky or whoever, that the right calls are being made regardless of how they're getting to that conclusion. Uh, and you're always welcome to play host. It's easier for me. But that, that sort of makes sense why you see all these former, you know, I mean, like, like, you know, Dean Blandino, Mike Pereira, former NFL officials are involved. I mean, you know, there are a lot of former NFL people who are involved in uh, the way that the AAF is going. Bill Polian, uh, one of the co-founders, along with Charlie Ebersol. Um, I do think that when you talk about how gambling and technology go hand in hand, I think this brings into it the, the discussion of pass interference, too. Because if you bet on the Saints and Rams game, whether you bet on the Ram, I mean, you bet on a one of one of a couple things. Whether it was the Saints minus three, uh, whether it was the Saints money line, whether it was the Rams money line or the Rams plus three, and that pass interference call. If you believe that Will Lutz was going to make the field goal and he made one that was a little bit further away right after the call, so why wouldn't he make the twenty-seven yarder? That pass interference call changed the outcome of the game and swung literally millions of dollars. Now, I was pointing this out on, on local radio in Raleigh on, uh, on Tuesday or Monday, excuse me. And they, and they were like, well, you know, that's part of, you know, you play the game and, you know, that, that's buyer beware. And I get it. I, I don't disagree with that. You know, when you gamble, you are inherently gambling. However, if the NFL is going to embrace gambling and say we are all in on this, you know we have uh, how, you know like this is our our official you know betting p- partner, and like you know we're feeding the stats to these guys and we're taking a huge chunk of money off the top. You can't have something like that out influence the well, outcome of a game, uh, right? I mean, I don't know that. Look, judgment calls are judgment calls. You know, I, I and then. I, I don't know where the line is. I, I think it's, from the league standpoint, what they're concerned about more is that somebody doesn't spot the ball egregiously. You know what I mean? Three or four yards from where the point was. Things that you can check. Right. You know what I mean? Whether or not this reception uh, goes to this guy or a sack goes to this guy and not that guy. Making sure that everything's ironclad so that across the board, that play was worth this many yards or this many points in real time and there's no going back. I mean, whether or not a guy would have made this after that, you know what I mean? Like, like I will let, whatever here, happened in that call, Will Lutz may have been approaching the ball and twisted his ankle and just completely, sure, you know what I mean, sure, or sure, just sure. slipped or whatever. Like, I don't know how far you can take it that way and, and whether the league's really concerned about how that stuff affects gambling as much as whether or not we, you know what I mean, we, if that was supposed, if that should have been a touchdown for player X, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. 
and everybody, and that is always reviewable. And we've got this standard of, you know, whether it's what what is the term? Uh, ir, not irrevocable. Irrefutable uh, evidence. Irrefutable or whatever, yeah. you know. Where is that line and what does that really mean? Um, that's right, well, well, where here... I think the focus is more now in terms of ball placement and whether that ball absolutely got over that goal line or whether it touched that goal line, whether it hit that pylon or not, you know, ensuring, ensuring that is accurate. They're never going to get – look, whatever, we, whatever happens with, with the, the, the future of officiating, this guy's fired, that guy's fired, full-time crews, video, video replay, you know, video replay stations staffed by top NFL officials in each stadium, right on the sidelines, whatever it is, they're never – stuff like that where even the rule book can't define it for every single circumstance. Right. There's still going to be dangling participles and loose ends, you know what I mean, and things where somebody's just got to make a call, yay or nay, it was or it wasn't. I don't think you're ever solving that riddle entirely. Um, but, then, but, but I then, do but, think they'll try to find different ways to reach those conclusions, which may include even more – of a technological bent. But doesn't the NFL need to have some sort of fail-safe to be able to pop in and say, hold on a second, 60-year-old no, man with the Big Brother's got to be more involved probably right. is what it comes down to, but I just don't know that Big Brother's always going to get it right either. I mean, like the Edelman play. I thought they got it wrong. Like, I was I was, I was, was yeah, shocked. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, something like that, you're never like you're never going to please. Not everybody's going to see it the same way. It's like staring at a piece of art or, or you know what I mean, whatever. No one's going to. I mean, Prisco doesn't even believe in art. He doesn't even think it exists as a concept. You know what I mean? So, like, no one's ever going to look at that Picasso and see the exact same thing in it. No, I I feel you. I mean, I guess, I guess, all right, put a different, like, I do think, I don't want to get a derail on the past interference thing, but we can talk about that in a second, but the, the, the spotting the ball and everything, that's interesting too, because, so like, as it stands right now, like, you could bet, on whether, and this has actually been a really good bet this, this playoff season. Uh, it hit, it hit multiple times in both games of the AFC championship and NFC championship. Um, you could bet on the over under longest touchdown scored going into the game. Saints Rams, longest touchdown scored over or shortest touchdown scored, excuse me, one over under one and a half yard. In other words, you need a, a punch in from the one yard line. It happened multiple times right. in this game. But what's interesting about that is like, you see a guy, it's like, he's down at the one. It's like, well, he looks like he could be down at the two, but right. you know, but they but they right. and and that's where it gets a little tricky. And and because gambling is on the fringe right now, where you're you know you're sort of doing it in a in a way that right. you know like right. it's not condoned by the NFL. So like the NFL doesn't have to care whether the ball is actually right. spotted the one or right. two. But once it's legalized, no one's suing them. You know what I mean? You might try to get your class action lawsuit right. against whoever. Right. You know. Yeah. MyBookie.net or whatever, but that's not their problem. Once right. you put your name on it and you're accepting that money, then it's a different, whole different ball of wax. Well, that was that's sort of my point. Like I heard uh, cousin Sal uh, from the Jimmy Kimmel show was on Bill Simmons' podcast, and did you, did you see what he and Clay Travis did with the Saints ticket? <laughs> did, you, did you see that? I did. I don't. I don't know cousin Sal, but I did know that the Saints. My prediction of the Saints is Super Bowl champs. I absolutely positively knew that was going down in flames Once. and had been completely torpedoed the moment I heard that Clay Travis paid $30,000 for that ticket. I knew there was no <laughs> chance the Saints were winning the Super Bowl. In fact, I knew they weren't going to win. They probably weren't going to win 
the championship game. They might, the, the referee may just not like Clay Travis. Like that's like well, Bill that. Game. I mean, does he? I don't know. I mean, every time I don't. Does he ever pick anything right? I haven't. I don't. No. I, look, look. Anytime if you're going to spend fifty six thousand dollars on a Super Bowl on a Saints to win the Super Bowl ticket, just do it before the season when they were like better odds. I mean, all right. Well, we got to get out of here. Jason Lockenfora, watch him on CBS Sports HQ. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Lockenfora. Uh, we'll talk to you next week at the Super Bowl, I'll man. See you in Atlanta, buddy. Sounds good, dude.